Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and I'm joined today by father-son duo, Brian and Avery Baker, who are here to share strategies on strengthening family relationships. Welcome, Brian and Avery. Thanks so much for joining me. Thank Thanks you for having us, Erin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad right. we got to uh, get the old man to figure out how to use Zoom today. <laughs> Oh, that's how we're starting out today. Wow. <laughs> I like hot. it. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Okay, Avery. All right. Before we get started, I want to tell our listeners a bit more about both of you. The Avery and Brian Experience was created in 2018 as a way to help families in the Baker's local community develop healthy relationships. That original idea has since grown exponentially into their work as motivational speakers, workshop leaders, and Head Start presenters around the United States. Plus, they're authors of the book, Love Wins, Five Keys to Strengthen Your Relationships, A Parent and Child Perspective. Using their own experiences as father and son, Avery and Brian help others understand how to examine themselves, be adaptable to change, and maintain positivity to improve and empower relationships. Avery is a master at the art of relationship building, holds a degree in economics, and has extensive work experience in collegiate athletics, community activism, and public speaking. And Brian spent more than 20 years in executive sales leadership positions. He's also founder of his own company, Respectology, and is a certified social and emotional intelligence coach, a train the trainer facilitator, a TEDx presenter, and a junior NBA WNBA coach of the year recipient. I want to start today by asking you both to tell us more about your own motivation for the work you do. Why have you felt called to this work, especially in helping families strengthen their relationships? Yeah, I'll start with with that one, Aaron. Great question. You know, uh, Avery and I have always been fortunate to have uh, a good relationship. Uh, people would comment uh, when he was smaller about our relationship and, and what a bond that we had. And so we would always tell people that, you know, it takes work to get where we've gotten to. But as he got older, we, we candidly were living on a place that we call Payne Island for, for quite a while. We had some losses in our family, uh, four uh, losses in our family in the span of 23 months. And this was right when Avery was beginning uh, high school. And so we struggled at that, that time uh, in our lives. And it wasn't really on Avery, it was on me. I was going through things that I had never gone through before in my life from some mental health um, issues, depression, anxiety, just really trying to figure out how to rebound from these losses that we had experienced. And so we struggled. And when we finally got our, our footing and got our bearing, we felt that our story could help families create a roadmap in their households to teach them how they can go from uh, having a fantastic relationship to a relationship that struggles a little bit to then rebounding and having a fantastic relationship. And so that's kind of what brought us to this space and these and made us decide that this was the type of work that we want to do. You know, most, if not all families go through generational trauma, have generational trauma. Uh, and there's difficulties that come with that, as I'm sure you know in the space 
that you work in. And so we just felt that, you know, we could be a motivation and an inspiration to help some families overcome whatever it is that they were dealing with. Yeah, definitely. And for me, you know, I learned early on in life that I really enjoyed helping others find success and joy. And it didn't matter in what area of my life. I think back on the Christmas that my family spent delivering gifts to uh, another family and seeing the joy on the other kids' faces. Uh, and that made me happy. And so I now that I'm an adult, I think back on that time. And now that I'm an adult, I'm inspired to do something that can positively influence so many people. And it's natural for my dad and I to talk about family relationships. Um, and so the last thing I'll say about my motivation is that I believe family relationships are so vital, you know, whether they're good or not, they affect our lives so deeply. And so doing what we do, helping the people that we can help, trying to be a, a, a beacon of light for folks um, is really the main motivation. I love that. Thank you both so much for your candor. So let's jump in. One of the big keys you all prioritize in your book and your presentations is building trust in our families and that this is a practice that takes time and diligence. So what are some key ways you advise parents that we can build or strengthen trust in our households? Yeah, I'll, I'll go ahead and start with this one, Pops. You know, Aaron, that's a great question. And trust is foundational, right? Like, and as you said, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. It takes practice in our book and as well as our masterclass called Five Keys to Strengthen Your Relationships that we created for families. We share some of the trust makers to strive for, right? You know, for example, sharing the rationale or the why. And this was really big for me as a child, because when my parents shared their rationale, it helped me feel like at least there was a method to their madness, right? Right. Um, but but seriously, for, for all the parents that are listening, sharing your why, sharing the why to your children is a trust maker because you want your kids to know that that your motivations are coming from a place of care and a place of love. Right. And so my dad, he talks about growing up in a generation of do what I say because I said so. Right. And, and so I do think that there's a time and a place for that. However, when we give others the respect of an explanation of sharing the rationale, they are more inclined to trust us and they're more inclined to trust our experiences. Right. So an example uh, I share with audiences, you know, is from when I was 16 years old. And I told my parents that I wanted to start working and I wanted to make my own money. And so my parents took me through the initial steps of going into a place of business and asking for an application, right? And so, you know, as a 16 year old, I'm thinking, okay, let me put on some nice pair of jeans. Maybe I'll put on my best polo shirt and I'll go in. And my parents, they took me through the explanation of, well, put on some nice slacks and put on a button up shirt and even throw on a tie because the more presentable you look, the more likelihood that you will have success in acquiring a job. And so they took me through this process, right? And they shared the rationale with each step. And so I'm incredibly grateful that they did because it allowed me to trust them a little bit more. 
you know, Aaron, what he left out in that was we sent him back to his room about three or four times to change because we were trying to explain to him that he was going to the mall to get a job, not to go try to flirt with girls in the mall. <laughs> so each time he went back and forth, we were explaining to him why we were having him do that. Uh, it worked out pretty good. He got a job. I think what your second day of looking, I think he, he landed the job, but uh, what I would, how I would answer your, your question, uh, Aaron, is that spending quality time is huge. You know, a couple of years ago, there was an organization by the name of Visit Anaheim here in Southern California, and they did a study on the amount of quality time families spend together during the week. And they found that it was only 37 minutes per day that families spent quality time together. So we sit down and watch our favorite hour-long television show, and you realize that half of that time is the amount of time that quality time is being spent uh, during the day within families. And so one of the things that, that, that we have to do in terms of being spending quality time together is being very intentional about it. There are so many distractions these days uh, and so many things that can separate families and take us away from each other, from social media to just the devices, um, the television programs, whatever the case may be. And so we have to be intentional when we're trying to spend quality time together because we're like ships passing through the night. So one of the things that we always recommend to families is that you carve out activities that you can do together. For example, like cooking a meal together as a family uh, and then sitting down and eating together. When I was growing up, we did that quite a bit. And then as I got a little bit older, I saw you know, families were less inclined to eat together. Everybody's kind of spread out all over the place. You go out to a restaurant, you sit down and you look, maybe it's a family of five or six people, all of them are on their phone. Nobody's engaged in any sort of conversation with each other. So we got to figure out ways to spend quality time together, taking bike rides, going on walks, game nights is a great way to do that. And so um, in our course that we, that we, just, um, that we just made our masterclass, in the masterclass, there's a download of an ebook we wrote called The Ultimate Guide to Indoor Fun. It's a great reference uh, to spend time together, activities to spend time together. And so that's just big. The, the ability to spend quality time together is the thing that really builds trust in families and relationships. Okay, these are both very doable things. Yeah. more intentional quality time together and and the thing that i have to remind myself of is it doesn't have to be a lot nope. even if if we've got 15 minutes that we can read a book together or play a game together um you know i get that mom guilt when i'm not spending hours and hours of time with my kids so i've got to kind of reframe that for myself and think what can we do for 15 minutes today to really connect with each other. And Avery, I loved what you said about having the respect for our kids, for others in our life to be able to explain that why, that rationale. I catch myself saying, because I said so. And I'm like, oh, it hurts my own ears. <laughs> so you're right when I can slow down and, and really explain to my kids why, the why behind whatever I'm telling them they're going to do or not do, um, it does make a huge difference. Yeah. So th that's great, you guys. I love that both of those feel very doable. We've got we've got to take the time to be intentional about it and to think that's about it. it. But that's it. That's great advice.
Brian, when we first talked, you also mentioned the importance of creating home environments that are open to any and all conversations, even and especially the hard ones. And just creating that environment where our kids know that they can come to us and ask anything, that nothing is off the table. So what practical tips can you give us to help create and maintain that kind of home life? And how did you see this benefit your own family? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Another great question, Aaron. You know, what I would say first is, is be open and be available and be honest with your children. You know, w- when they know they've been invited to talk to you about anything and everything, uh, that's a feel good thing for them. But here's the key to be invited to talk to you about anything and everything without being judged when they come to do it. Um, They'll be more inclined to come and talk to you about whatever is on their mind uh, if you set that sort of of, uh, expectation up uh, within the household. It doesn't mean that they always will come and talk to you, but it does mean that they can. And that's very, very important because there's so many, again, I'll mention outside distractions a little bit earlier. There's so many things that have their attention uh, outside of the house and so many things that don't have their best interest in mind. So they, they have to be able to have you as parents to come and talk to. Second, I think it's important that you model the behavior of being a proactive communicator uh, mm-hmm. with the key part being an active listener. Now, I'll be candid. I, I struggled at times with, with being an active listener. I think part of it, uh, I'll blame it on being a man Uh, because we want to fix things when your kids come to you or your wife comes to you or your friends come to you. It's like, okay, well, here's the problem. Well, let's, let's fix it. And that's not necessarily the step that we always need to take, you know, out of the gate. So, you know, if you want somebody to be um, uh, uh, willing to engage with you in positive ways, you know, let them know uh, that it's okay to do that, but model the behavior uh, along the way. The benefit that it had for our family uh, Aaron, is that uh, it fostered an environment of openness and unity that still exists to this day. You know, Avery's 27 years old. My youngest son is 25 years old. And uh, even though we're all in, in different locations, you know, every week we jump on a Zoom call together just to do a check-in. And that just comes from how we operated in our home when they were young. And we kind of just kept that going along the way. And so, that's some of the benefits that it's provided to our families. And I think it can provide that same benefit to many other households. And Brian, sometimes that means for me that I have to like arrange my face <laughs> as the children are telling me things. Like I've got to think, act act natural. That's <laughs> Don't it. react, just listen. So that's <laughs> my struggle. Um, and also I've had to learn too, especially as my oldest is um, in middle school now, I, I'm with you. I want to fix all the things, you know, yeah. she's telling me a story and I've like, I hardly even let her finish before I'm like, here's the plan of action. And I've had to kind of take a breath. And so I try when I remember to say to her, do you want me to just listen to you? Or do you need my help to fix something? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that you know, is so hard. It's very difficult. And, and uh, the, it was an interesting dynamic in our home because my wife, has always been a fantastic listener. And, and, you know, again, I struggle with that. And so, you know, Avery and, and Justin, they will tease and say, if I wanted to get something resolved, I'll go talk to my dad. If I wanted to just be heard, 
I go and talk to my mom. And uh, so I learned from her because I was like, like, why do they talk to you about so many things that they maybe don't come and talk to me about necessarily? And it always came down to like, you're not listening to them. So again, I had to work on it. It's a very, very difficult thing. Sounds like it's a little bit difficult for you too, but I am an example that it can be done, Erin. You can do this too. Okay, I, I love that motivation. And Avery, tell us from your perspective, what did growing up in a household where open communication was fostered mean to you then? And how has it shaped your life now? Yeah, well, first off, let me just say, you know, kudos to my dad, because he has really grown in his listening skills. And so I appreciate it, Pops. I I'll come talk to you about more things now, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so so to answer your question, Aaron, you know, growing up in, in an environment like this, it had a tremendous impact on me for, for a couple of reasons. Um, number one, what you and your audience has to know about me is that I was not an outgoing kid, right? Like I was a very shy kid. I was the type of kid that would hide behind my parents' leg when it came time to meeting new people. Uh, and I know this seems ironic now because I'm a motivational speaker, a workshop facilitator. And so it was through the constant encouragement from my parents to express myself that gave me confidence. And ultimately, this is what led to me finding my voice. Now, my dad Growing up, he used to give my brother Justin and I these sayings or teachings, uh, and he used to repeat them over and over and over again. So we dubbed them Brian Bakerisms because we just felt like they were his favorite things in the world to say, right? And so the Brian Bakerism that works for your question here is when he would tell us closed mouths don't get fed. And he would tell us this from the time that we were, you know, eight years old, nine years old, all the way through the teenage years. And admittedly, I didn't understand what he was talking about as a young child. But as I got older, I started to realize how true that statement is. And so when I got into the middle school and high school years and I was struggling in a class, you know, I had to take the initiative to open up my mouth. And to let my teachers know that, hey, I'm struggling. And even as I got into college and I started having different jobs and internships, if I was working on a project and I needed, uh, you know, uh, uh, an extension on the deadline or if I needed help from my superior on, you know, show me how to do this, like I needed to take that initiative, right? So closed mouths don't get fed. That was a very important Brian Bakerism that he gave to us growing up. So so that's number one, why, you know, this environment had, had a, a tremendous impact on me. Number two, you know, it was extremely helpful for me to feel like I had a sounding board when I was growing up at home. Whenever I went to my parents with curiosities or with questions, I knew that we were going to engage in dialogue and they were going to give me honest feedback, right? And that's not to say that they wouldn't question me because my parents were trying to raise critical thinkers. And I think that plays into how you can have better open conversations is when you have that back and forth dialogue as a child answering why you know sometimes it's annoying to have to answer that but it makes you think a little bit deeper and so for these two reasons having this environment of openness and unity it was incredibly beneficial for me uh, not only then but in the long run now that I'm an adult I realized like wow like I had such a great foundation because my parents took the time and were intentional about having these conversations with me.
That is really powerful. And I think what, you know, is so often hard for parents is we are, we are surviving. We're just living in the day to day, every day. And so to kind of step outside that and, and listen to you all and see how these practices that were put in place in your home have impacted the man that you've grown up to be, Avery, is so encouraging and inspirational and makes what you guys do so unique. Um, it's a good reminder for me to really slow down and to be more intentional. And that even though things kind of feel chaotic and like a dumpster fire in my everyday life, sometimes the choices that I'm making now can make a positive impact on my kids in the future. So thank you for reminding me of that. Yes, absolutely. So our open and honest families are not without conflict. <laughs> what advice can you give on what healthy conflict resolution looks like for parents and kids and how modeling and learning that skill will benefit them into adulthood? Wow. So for this, for this, Aaron, I just want to share a, a quick story with you uh, about our journey. When Avery was going into his freshman year of college and he had gotten into a lot of different schools outside of the area that we lived in. And we had a family conversation and we made the decision that like, well, economically, it would make sense for him to go to the university in our city. And at least for his freshman year, uh, live at home uh, and, you know, stack his money. He was always working and, 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 and saving a lot of money. And so we made that decision for him to do it. Well, he wasn't really keen on that decision to stay at home going into his freshman year of college, but he 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 was 17 years old. He wasn't going to be 18 for about uh, six months after he started college. And so, um, what ended up happening is there were rules in the house that had always been there. But he was going to college, so he decided that he didn't have to abide by the rules, even though he was still living at home. It ended up turning into really the biggest conflict that we've ever had in our life. Uh, and we kind of were in our kitchen. And he said, I'm ready to move. And I said, well, I'm ready for you to move too. I'm going to give you two options, two contracts. One of them you're going to have to sign either if you leave the house because we were financially supporting him or if he stayed at home, he had to sign these contracts. So long story short, after a 48 hour period, <clears throat> he signed the contract to end up staying at home. It kind of settled the conflict that we had because of this dust up that we had in the kitchen. <clears throat> but one of the things that I needed to do as the more mature person in the relationship at the time, as a parent, is I knew that the conflict was resolved, but it wasn't necessarily resolved in the way that was satisfactory to him. In other words, he could keep these, harbor these feelings and take those on you know, over the next couple of weeks and months or however long you know, they could have been there. And so I realized that I had to now manage the conflict, even though the, the actual issue was resolved or whether he was going to stay at home or whether he was going to leave. And so uh, one of the things that I did, uh, Aaron, is the day that he signed the contract to stay at home, I wrote him a letter and I left it on his dresser for him to get it in the morning. And essentially it was a, a, a love letter from a father to his son, letting him know how difficult um, you know, I know this has been, but this was just a moment and a snapshot in time and this too shall pass. I let him know how much I was 
grateful for him uh, helping me get through uh, the losses that we had experienced, being an inspiration to me along the way. And so it ended up being uh, the low point in our relationship, and it turned into the turning point in our relationship. And now we're in this high point in our relationship, you know, being with you today and being business partners and traveling the country together and and speaking and doing keynotes and, and uh, workshop facilitators. So, you know, it's a great story when we share that all the time. Uh, when we speak to live audiences, we go a lot deeper into the story than we can with you right now. But it's just it's just an example of conflict happens. We can figure out ways to resolve it. Doesn't mean all parties are always going to be satisfied. And so as the more mature person in that relationship, learn how to manage the conflict a little bit. Uh, I think it, 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 it ends up being better in the long run. That's such a good reminder too, that um, just because we are in conflict with our kids doesn't mean that we shouldn't also be reminding them of all the good things about our relationship, how we feel about them, especially like you're talking about where we have to say no to something or we have to resolve something in a way that doesn't feel great to our kids. Um, that it may feel over and done to us, but it doesn't always feel like that to them. Right. So, that's, right. I, I'm feeling all of the things you were saying um, with my, you know, kids going into those preteen years, especially. In, interesting times that you're in. <laughs> yeah. And speaking of that, let's talk about some of those key separation points in life. Maybe some of our listeners have kids that will be going to school for the first time, like me, kids that are going into middle school or entering adulthood and leaving home, like you're talking about that experience with Avery um, going to college. How do we focus on keeping those relationships with our kids strong in these situations where they're pulling away and we want to give them more independence, but we also want to preserve the relationship? Mm. Mm -hmm. Want to take yeah. that, Avery? Yeah, I'll, I'll touch on that, Aaron. And you know, one thing I just wanted to add to what it is that my dad said about that story uh, between the two of us is, you know, in your question, the previous question, you talked about modeling and learning this, how modeling and learning this skill will benefit um, children into adulthood. And, you know, the way my dad handled that situation, he talked about writing a love letter. He talked about how he knew we needed to manage the conflict. I can honestly look back and find a lot of appreciation for what he did because he obviously didn't want that blow up to tear down our relationship in the long haul. And so he acted accordingly. He made the effort for us to reconnect and to renew our relationship. And so now coming to this question, you know, I think consistency is key. And, and I mentioned that I was not very expressive while growing up, but again, that didn't stop my parents from continuing to show interest in how school was going, how I was making friends, um, you know, what extracurriculars that I was getting into. And so naturally, like many adolescents, you know, I kind of felt like, oh, this is my parents trying to be in my business, right? But over time, I relished the home life that I had. Not, not all of my friends had parents that cared about what they were doing. And some of them would even comment on how cool my parents were. So to answer your question, continue to show up, continue to be consistent, because I truly believe like in the long run, your kids are going to appreciate that, you know, life happens and, and unfortunate things happen throughout life. And so to have those moments of 
of clarity and those moments of, you know, my parents cared about me, they showed love, they showed interest, you know, that, that was huge for me now. It's bigger now than it was then, but I think that's just the maturation process. So we should keep showing up, even when they're rolling their eyes at us and telling us they don't want us there. We show up anyway. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, you you know, it is it's interesting. I want I want to piggyback on what Avery just said and just share this with you and your audience, Aaron. Um, timing and patience is everything. And you know, I really had to learn that when Avery was in the seventh grade. And you sound like you're living this right now in terms of those middle school years. And those are really, really tough, right? Because that's when you want to hang out more with your friends than you do with your, you know, funky parents and, you know, do family activities, right? And so, you know, when he was in the seventh grade, um, his grades began to slip quite a bit. And he had always been very studious, never had to um, really get on him about studying or doing homework. He, he took a liking to it while he was very, very young. And um, so it was kind of bothering me and he couldn't really articulate what was happening and why his grades were dropping the way it was, the, the way they were. And so, you know, I, I got to admit, uh, I, I was a tad big triggered and I was a tad big frustrated that like this was happening uh, and I didn't understand why. So I remember calling my dad one night just to rant. Like I just wanted my dad to listen to me. And so he listened to me maybe for about four or five minutes without saying anything. And then he just simply said to me, do you want me to tell you what the deal is? And I'm like, yeah. And he said, Avery can't tell you what's going on right now because he doesn't know himself. Mm. You have to learn a little bit of patience right now. And you have to understand that timing is everything. You have to pick the right time to broach certain conversations and certain subject matters with him when it will be more effective for you to engage in that type of conversation. And so it was like a light bulb went off in my head that, you know, I needed to really pull back a little bit and kind of meet him where he was and because they're trying to figure these things out themselves. It doesn't make it easier when, when, you know, we're prodding them and, you know, tell me what's going on. And I didn't know that. And so I'm thankful for my dad imparting that knowledge on me because I think it was one of the, the, the points in my life as a parent that allowed me to be better. And so um, those are tough years, though. I mean, again, I was, I was kind of triggered by a lot that was going on, but I did realize um, timing is huge. And that's what, that's just what I wanted to share with, with you and your audience. That is so helpful. And again, I think we get so wrapped up in wanting to do or fix that we forget the power of just being with them and being there and showing up. Yeah. Absolutely. Another life skill that a lot of parents are really attuned to right now is social and emotional intelligence, especially as we come out of the pandemic. Many schools have implemented SEL-based curriculums or lessons. So Brian, how do we strengthen this skill in our homes as well? Wow. Well, you know, so let me give you the definition of social and emotional intelligence to start off. It is the ability to be aware of our emotions and the emotions of others in the moment and then use that information to manage our actions 
and to manage our relationships. So that is the definition of social and emotional intelligence. As parents, uh, I believe that the first step that we really have to continue to work on, take, but continue to work on is to develop our own self-awareness. You know, and that's an honest conversation we have to have with our, ourselves about, you know, the strengths that we possess, but also the weaknesses that we have. You know, the, the values that we, that we carry, our beliefs, the things that trigger us. I mean, you get the point, right? We have to, we have to be able to have that honest conversation to, to know who we are. And if we're going to be aware of other people, other people's emotions, other people's feelings, you know, i.e. Our, our kids in this case, we really need to know who we are and we need to be working on who it is that we want to become, uh, not only as a parent, but as a person. Uh, we're all works in progress. We're all under construction. I don't think that, that I don't think we ever stop that in this in this journey in life. But I, I think first and foremost, Aaron, our self-awareness is the thing that makes us better parents and makes us better people. Uh, I also would, would suggest that we invite our kids to share their emotions and to share our feelings with us. I think there's some stigmas around um, th that sort of thing. Uh, you know, I raised two boys, right? And you can often hear, you know, that, you know, you know, don't cry, boys don't cry, these certain things. And I personally kind of think that that's foolish, right? We're trying to get them to, to be real, well-rounded people. And that's being in tune with their emotional self-awareness. So I think we encourage that within our kids to be able to share that because you want them to share it with you, right? You want to help to kind of mold and guide them along the way as parents. And so if they know that it's okay to be able to do that and share that with you, you can meet them where they are and give them the direction uh, that they need to have. So I just believe that modeling uh, the way in which you manage yourself and manage relationships and do it in a positive manner, you know, they're always looking at you. Whether you know it or not, parents, your kids are peeping you out and they're looking at what you do, how you do it, what you say, who you say it to. And so we have to be cognizant and aware of that, that sort of thing. But those are just, just a few things that help with some social and emotional learning at home. Avery is fond of saying that, um, you know, family engagement at school begins with family engagement at home. And, and I just think that that's a very profound statement but these are the types of things that we want to do within the household to kind of help them along the way in that social and emotional intelligence journey. This is one of those hard answers where parents are like, how can I get my kids to do this? Oh, I have to do it myself first. And sometimes <laughs> that is really painful. We um, have this ongoing joke in our household. My middle child said several years ago about my husband, his dad, but dad doesn't have any feelings. So we joke that dad has no feelings and mom has all the feelings. So we've had to kind of figure out, okay, dad needs to model more and talk about what he's feeling and mom needs to regulate herself some more. Um, and it's hard. It's really, it really hard work and we don't always do it well or do it right. But um, I, I do feel like my kids would say, we are asking and talking about feelings constantly um, just to normalize that for them. Um, but yeah, that means that we've had to do a lot of work too. Yeah, Maybe but that, 
Go ahead, go ahead, Erin. I'm sorry. Well, I was going to ask Avery to share kind of how being in a home environment where that was prioritized, how has that um, shaped who you are now and your comfort with social emotional intelligence? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everything that my dad said is spot on. And, you know, for me growing up, some of the social and emotional learning, um, it, it took place not necessarily because my parents were trying to be deliberate about what it is that they told me, but they really were being deliberate about how they were acting, right? And like how we're supposed to act in public, how we treat other people, all of these things that, you know, as a, as a child, like you learn from your parents first, right? And so, you know, they, they're the first teachers that we have. And for me, as I've grown up and been able to connect with so many people from around the world, you know, I just hearken back to the, the way that I was raised and, you know, the things that my parents did to create an environment or a culture around me that was conducive to my growth. And not just with our family, but with the people that they brought into my life, their friends, you know, you know, distant relatives or anybody of that sort. So, you know, overall, I, I really feel like the social and emotional learning, um, it was one of those things that, you know, my parents, they were downloading those skills into me without even really saying this is social and emotional intelligence right like they were just doing things that um you i can look back on now and i realize like oh wow that's a competency of social and emotional intelligence oh that's how you manage relationships oh that's how you tap into your resilience and you be you're able to stand on your own two feet so a lot of these things they they just were natural in the way that my parents raised us that's some high praise there brian <laughs> Well, you know, I think I did okay with them, Aaron, but sometimes they remind me of all of the flaws that I have, like all our kids will do throughout the remainder of our lives. So remember when I said we're works in progress, they keep reminding me of that. That's right. Yeah. That's right. As kids do. <laughs> Avery, I want to ask you about a big hot button topic for parents. What do we need to most know about the digital and social media world our kids are growing up in now? It's so different from when parents today were kids. How do we set realistic expectations about our kids' interactions with social media and technology and educate ourselves on all the platforms that are out there? Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is this question or these questions, they are crucial for the times that we are living in. And, you know, my dad readily admits, you know, his parents didn't have to deal with the same distractions that he had to deal with. And younger parents don't, or my dad doesn't have to deal with, didn't have to deal with the same distractions that younger parents are dealing with now, because I grew up uh, in a time where social media was just starting to kick off right before I was getting into high school. Now, whether it's social media, whether it's just technology, I mean, we see how the pandemic made us so inundated with technology. You know, now it, it, it's everywhere, right? And so earlier I touched on open conversations and, you know, I mentioned how important it was for me to have this home culture where I could ask questions and I and I was listened to. 
And nowadays, many young people turn to social media or to other technology for their curiosities or for the questions that they have. And and I'll be the first to admit, like, I love social media. And I think social media is amazing for so many reasons. You know, it gives us a sense of community. However, the dangerous part, the slippery slope comes into place when, you know, not everybody on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook has the child's best interests in mind, right? And certainly not the same way that a parent would have their child's best interests in mind. And so that's why open conversations now are more important than ever, I feel like, because, you know, with all of the greatness and the fun of social media, there's a ton of negativity that circulates our feeds. And we can't always filter out the things that we don't want our kids to see or the things that a young child shouldn't be seeing, right? And so kids can be receiving this or kids can be, you know, getting this information, getting this content that may not be appropriate for where they're at. And if they don't have anywhere to turn to, to talk about this, they're just going to kind of think that this is normal. They're going to think, oh, well, you know, if that's the way that things are, you know, maybe I need to start acting that way, right? Without having that outlet to bounce ideas off of or to question or to share that curiosity. And so the openness is so important to have the open conversations. And as far as you know, parents setting expectations, I mean, I or setting the expectations around social media, you know, I think parents have to become very, very aware of the content that can be circulating our social media feeds. And in, that may involve the parents themselves being on social media. You know, one of the things that my dad always says, he's like, man, I don't care about, you know, this social media stuff, like in terms of our business, right? And I think that, you know, Fortunately for him, I'm old enough now that I can, am able to filter out some of the things that I know I don't need to be seeing on social media or on the internet, right? But for parents, for younger parents, right, I think it is up to, to you to take the time to get to know the platform, take the time to see what's going on out there. I'm not saying that you have to, you know, become trending or whatever that may be. I'm just saying, understand and realize that what's out there is what your kids may be seeing. And so don't do your best, do your due diligence to not be blindsided by the content or the information that's out there, out there, get to know the content and the information, and then be prepared to share with your kids, hey, I don't know if you've seen this, or I don't know if your friends are talking about this, but let's have a conversation about it, right? And so, you know, that's, that's I think, the biggest thing. And, and the last thing I'll say about this is, when it comes to social media, I mentioned, you know, the positives, the negatives, when it comes to the negatives, thing about it is kids might not always be upfront and willing to just share what it is that they've, you know, witnessed or experienced, right, or what it is that they saw. And I can say that from personal experience, because I was that type of kid, right. And so having this environment over time, created a space for me to feel like, okay, you know, I'm hearing one thing from the household, I'm hearing another thing from friends, my social settings, social media, all of this, I need to kind of bridge this gap, 
right? And so that's what led to me like starting to question things and starting to ask my parents about certain things. And then it did, it gave me confidence to feel like I could determine for myself right for wrong. I could determine for myself, uh, so-and-so, that these, if this group of people are doing these things, I may not want to be in that crowd for this situation. So yeah, all in all, I think this is a, it's a really important topic for, for parents to embrace, not shy away from, uh, because social media isn't going anywhere, right? Technology isn't going anywhere. The internet isn't going anywhere. And so the further we get, the further we inundate ourselves in this techno technological world, um, it's up for, it's up to us as adults to have kind of our, um, have those, have that awareness of all of the good and the bad that comes with it. I think one of the kind of shocking things for me as a parent that I did not expect was, you know, just because my kids are not on social media yet, or, you know, didn't have phones or didn't have free range to certain apps or programs does not mean that they don't have friends who are. And yeah. so just, I, I've, I've had to think about it beyond what are my kids seeing to what are their friends seeing? What are their friends going to be talking about at school? And mm -hmm. so I, I have felt like that kind of paying attention to the, the trending stories or things going on on social media, mm -hmm. um, paying attention in their school districts about what other kids or parents are talking about so that I can, as much as possible, try to be proactive and talking to them about those subjects that, you know, kids are hearing about and learning about earlier and earlier. You know, Aaron. Yeah, that 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 is your 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 kids are at that age right now, where and I just heard you say, you know, they may they may not have access to social media or their phone, have a phone or anything like that. You know, Avery and Justin, we didn't let them have a Facebook page until they were in the eleventh grade, and by the time that happened, they were like, forget it, I'm not even interested. <laughs> And the reason that we did that wasn't because we just kind of felt like, well, you're not responsible enough to have this. It was like, no, that's, that's another distraction and that's more noise. And we need you to just kind of stay focused, you know, in the direction that you're going in. And so we do have to make decisions as parents. I would always say to them, like, I'm not competing with that. I'm not competing with, with, your uh, a phone. I'm not competing with the social media uh, platform. I'm not competing with any of that, right? And so that was sometimes it's hard for our kids to understand it. Um, but you know, I think you're right. You have to keep your you know your ear to the ground about what's going on around them, what's going on with their friends. And sometimes you know they'll give you that information if we go about asking them the right way you know, in it, you know, with open-ended questions to let them talk, let them explain. So you're spot on with that. Um, you just kind of, you have to just stay with it. So they will share with you what's happening. But like, if you don't ask, you may never know. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's why those open conversations are so important. Absolutely. As we close out our conversation today, Avery and Brian, what is the number one thing you would say parents should do now while our kids are still at home 
to ensure that we'll be enjoying strong relationships with them when they are adults. Maybe be business partners and be speaking around the country together like you guys are now. You know what, what, what I would say to everyone listening to the podcast, Aaron, is that you have to take advantage of the gift of time mm -hmm. because you, that's what it truly is. When your kids are still at home uh, with you and you, and you still have, you know, some influence <laughs> over what it is that uh, that's going on in their lives, it's a, it's a gift of time. And so the number one thing that I think is so important is to just continue to work on communication. It's so vital and it's so key. We mentioned one part of it is being an active listener, uh, but being able to engage in communication to helpfully build bridges of understanding between you and your kids, you know, that that never ends. You know, we have to meet them uh, where they are as they're growing and we have to respect that. And that's why the bridges of, of building bridges of understanding is so important. It doesn't mean that we're gonna build bridges of agreement all the time. Mm -hmm. And we have to be able to, you know, learn as family members, you know, how to agree to disagree and do it respectfully uh, and do it without falling out. Um, so the communication uh, is the key, meeting them where they are. I I'll give you an example. Uh, when Avery and Justin were in college, I realized very quickly that if I wanted to give my opinion on something or if I saw them doing something or they told me something I'm like nah that's not the right way to do it you know they were at that age where if I just jumped in and inserted myself that that would probably fall on deaf ears and they would probably have a little bit of resentment on you know treating them like they were in the ninth grade or in the 10th grade when they weren't and so I had to make the adjustment Aaron when I approached them to just ask them are you open for some feedback? Mm. And when I began to do that, they were, you know, for the most part, they would say, yeah, what's going on? What's up? But when they said not really, I had to respect that too. Because at, at, at that point in time, I asked them the question, they gave me the answer. And so again, I just think communication is the key. Um, and you just kind of got to keep at it, even when you reach those, those, those spots where it seems like it's, this isn't working, you can't give up on it because at the end of the day, um, the ability to be able to connect and bond through some understanding, um, is the thing that's going to allow you to keep your relationship strong. I didn't know at the time when I was raising my sons that when they became adults, that they would ultimately be my two best friends, but that's what's happened. And communication has been a big part of that. That is beautiful. Avery, what would you add? What's the number one thing parents should do right now while our kids are at home to ensure we have those strong relationships? Yeah, yeah. for me, Aaron, the number one thing parents should do is set expectations. Um, setting expectations of their children can really lay a foundation for how they want their relationship with their children to be for years to follow. And I think that it's also important that, that kids need that structure, 
They need something to strive for. They need people to push them. They need people to say, you know, you can be and do what it is that you want to do. That's part of setting expectations for children, I believe. But perhaps what's more important is that parents set expectations of themselves, right? Like setting an expectation for the type of parent that they want to be, setting an expectation for the love that they will provide, the trust they will garner and, and how they treat people, right? And so in order to set effect, if, excuse me, in order to effectively set boundaries, you must develop your self-awareness first. And so that's what my dad was talking about earlier in, when it comes to social and emotional intelligence. But all of those things, you know, the expectations that I'm talking about, um, the, the, the open conversations, the building trust, they all, you know, are part of social and emotional intelligence. And it starts with our self-awareness. Hey, Aaron, can I add something to that? Absolutely. Um, so a Avery brought up setting expectations for your children. The one thing that I, I do want to add to that, and, and we talk about this when we're in front of live audiences, and this always tends to come up in a Q&A uh, section of the talk. Um, you know, if you have more than one child, you know, you have to be able to set expectations for that particular child. You know, they're different people. And, um, you know, for example, Avery was... Um, very uh, astute when it came to mathematics his entire life, right? He, it was easy for him. My youngest son, Justin, uh, he's an artist, wasn't easy for Justin. So the expectations that I perhaps had for Avery in terms of say grades in math going through school were a little bit higher for him than they were for Justin because I knew that wasn't really Justin's thing. My encouragement to him was to work hard at getting better at it. On the flip side, you know, Justin could play uh, all kinds of instruments. Justin could sing. Justin could act. Avery couldn't do any, any of that, right? And so, you know, I didn't really have, you know, expect, set expectations for Avery in that area, but that was Justin's thing. And so I set expectations for him and I kind of encouraged and pushed him. My wife and I encouraged and pushed him along the way. And so I just wanted to add that caveat. Expectations are so very, very important, but we have to realize and understand you know, our kids are not the same. So it, it, the self-awareness as a parent lets you know that. And you have to be able to deal with each of them differently and set different expectations. The goals could be the same, but there's different ways that each child could get there. And so we just need to be cognizant of that. Man, that's a frustrating part about parenting, how all these children are so different from each other. <laughs> It'd be way easier if we could parent them all the same. I feel that. Yeah. Yeah. My wife and I are trying to figure out it as we get older, where we figured this one out. I'm not going to say on this podcast who, who it would be, but which child would allow us to come and live with them and which child would pay for us to be cared for. Mm -hmm. So, you know, <laughs> you figure that out along the way too, you know, the, which children are going to do what when you get a little bit older. So it, it's, 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 but it's a fun journey. Uh, Aaron and I, I just think that we have to we have to enjoy it more than we sometimes do. And it took me a long time to figure it out. It's a job that we have as parents, probably the toughest job we'll ever have in our lives. But we have to enjoy it um, because at the end of the day, you know, we want to raise young people that can stand on their own two feet. And in the case of my wife and I, we just wanted to raise good human beings. Yeah.
And, and I think that's what so many parents we hear from. That's exactly their mindset right now. Thank you guys so much for joining me for this conversation today. This has been incredibly informative. And for me, there were a lot of light bulb moments, but I think the most helpful thing that you guys have helped me do today is reset my mind frame from what do I want to do as a parent to who do I want to be as a parent. Yeah. And that feels like a breath of fresh air to, to kind of go into the rest of this parenting journey with that mindset in mind. You can do it. <laughs> We're rooting for you. <laughs> Thank you. You guys are such an inspiration and you're such great examples for parents today of we can get through the challenges and all of this hard work and time and energy we're putting into our kids it pays off it does it does and just enjoy it enjoy it have some fun with it you know um it's 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 not as challenging as we sometimes make it we just have to lean into it uh and enjoy the journey along the way absolutely thank you guys so much for being here Thank you. Thank you for having us. For our listeners, find more presentations by nationally renowned parenting experts like Avery and Brian through membership in the Modern Art of Parenting. Visit modernartofparenting.com to learn more about those memberships, which are just $19 a month or $199 for the year with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Thanks everyone for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids.